Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. If faith is the thing that activates heaven, then what do you think the enemy is going to attack the most? Faith. Faith is what motivates heaven to move on your behalf. Everything that Jesus did on the cross is done. When he said it was finished, he meant that it was finished, which means heaven is opened up. And the only thing that changes a believer's lives or their situations or their circumstances is what we decide to believe God for, because faith is what moves heaven. When you would see Jesus perform a healing, the first thing that he would ask a person is, do you believe? Do you believe I'm able to do this? So I believe that many times we stay stuck in our situations is not because of belief. It's because of unbelief. Amen. Amen? So I believe that I'm in a season and I believe that there's many of those who are in this room that are in a season whereby God is challenging their faith to grow to another level. And you have to contend for faith many times. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violent, but the violent take it by force. The DSV version. Anybody ever read the DSV version Bible? It's the Donnie Smith, Donnie Smith version. You have to fight. And the last thing that the believer, the believer is called a believer because they're supposed to believe. Amen. But I see a lot of believers walking around these days struggling, believing. Amen to that. True, genuine faith is not born overnight. Faith takes time to progress and grow into its full potential. You know, everybody has struggled in this room at some point in their faith. Everybody is going through something in their own way that is challenging the essence of what they believe. You know, when you doubt, it can pose a lot of questions to God. Sometimes it doesn't question the reality of God existing, but maybe... Maybe we question and we doubt because we don't think that God can move on our behalf. He can move on our neighbor's behalf or our friend's behalf, but maybe God is not so interested in moving on my behalf. I wrote a quote the other day. I hope you love it. It says this, Christianity is not the answer to all of life's difficult questions. It's a life of peace. It's a life that offers peace while your questions remain unanswered. The reality is, is there are certain things that will happen in a believer's life that they won't have the answers for on this side of heaven. I've often wondered why I've gone through things that I've gone through. I'm sure you've wondered the same. If God is such a good God, why would he allow X, Y, Z to happen? If God is able to move on my behalf, then why doesn't he answer my prayers in a timely manner? Why does he allow, or why did he allow Lazarus to stay in the grave for four days? Why did he allow things to die in my life with no anticipation to resurrect them? You know, you can never judge your faith or your situation while you're at the starting line. You can't determine what the finish line is going to look like because God is all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's omnipotent. He knows the end at the very beginning. You know, there's nobody that I've seen throughout the Bible who I admire the most other than Jesus besides Joseph. Joseph, to me, was the pinnacle, the highest example that I could ever see of a believer who didn't trust God or even flinch in his faith. 
throughout the whole Bible. Does everybody know the story of Joseph? Joseph was about 17 years old, and it's found in Genesis, and you can read it. It's somewhere around chapter 39. Joseph is a dreamer. He wore this coat of many colors. He had 11 brothers, um, and he has this dream. And in this dream, he has these bundles of wheat, and there's 11 bundles of wheat representing his brothers. And he says, your, your sheaves or your bundles of wheat bowed down to me, which meant that one day his older brothers, Joseph being the youngest, would be served by his older brothers. Not only his brothers, but his mother and his father. It says the sun and the moon bowed down to him in this particular dream as well. Now, it seems like that was a pretty typical arrogant dream for a 17-year-old boy. Everybody's mad at him. So as a result... His brothers hated him for his dream. His, even his father rebuked him. But something happened to Joseph. Joseph one day is going out to go look after his father's sheep, and he went to go help his brothers. And as, as his brothers seen him far off, his brothers took him. They, it killed, they killed a lamb. They took the blood, put it on Joseph's coat, threw Joseph in a pit. There's a group of Ishmaelite traders that are coming by on their horses, and they sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph gets sold as a slave on a slave block to a guy named Potiphar. He serves in Potiphar's house for years. And if things couldn't get any worse, Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph. She says that Joseph is trying to sleep, sleep with her when she, in fact, wanted to sleep with Joseph. But Joseph said, how can I commit this great sin and sin against God and Potiphar? And for this treasonous act, they send Joseph into prison. But Joseph was still favored by God. Anywhere Joseph would go, he was, he was promoted. He was promoted in Potiphar's house, took care of all of Potiphar's belongings. The Bible says that Potiphar didn't even know the things he had except for which he ate because Joseph took care of his entire estate. So he goes to prison, and in prison he sits there for three years. Now, you don't know this, but it's about a 13-year period that Joseph, from Joseph, by the, t the time he had his dream... And the time the dream was fulfilled was about 13 years. If you fast forward it, the Pharaoh or the king at that time has a dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. He has his magicians come in. He has his uh, priests come in to try to interpret it. Nobody can interpret it. But somebody hears that there's a dreamer in prison. And so Potiphar has Joseph taken out of prison, cleans him up, stands before him, interpret, interprets Joseph's dream and Joseph gets promoted as the second most powerful man almost overnight. Potiphar puts his ring, his signet on him, puts a coat on him, gives him his staff, and Joseph rules Egypt as the second most powerful man in the world. You know, I almost really got discouraged because throughout the scriptures when I'm reading about Joseph, Joseph didn't flinch one time in his faith. His faith was steadfast, sure, and secure. Even though that God showed no evidence on moving on his behalf at any given point, other than he would get favor and get promoted, but there's no sign of God speaking to him. There's no sign of God showing any interest to deliver him from the pit or from Potiphar's house or even prison. And 13 years goes by and this guy exudes a strong backbone of faith that is unmovable and unshakable and is simply undeniable. Now, I almost got discouraged when I was reading this because there's many times that my faith has been shaken. 
There's things that have happened in my life that I've certainly questioned whether God had, God had any interest in delivering me or changing my situation. Has anybody been there where you've doubted whether or not God was going to move on your behalf? Now, it may not be like my situation. You know, I've often questioned why my father was uh, murdered when I was nine years old. I've, I've often questioned that, and I still don't have the answer. That's probably how I came up with that quote. Maybe your questions are not the questions that I have about my father, but maybe it's the uh, difficult season that you're going on that's going on within your marriage. Or maybe your situation is a little bit different than that. Maybe you struggle financially and wonder, uh, maybe God is a healer. Maybe he is God on the throne and he's in heaven and he's seeing my situation, but maybe he has no interest to help me financially. Doubts, doubts. Every day throughout the week, we're bombarded. Our mind is bombarded with doubts on whether or not God, maybe not, not that he doesn't exist, but will God, does he exist enough to move on my behalf? Amen? And again, I almost got frustrated until I found out that Joseph's strong faith stood alone throughout the whole scripture. Throughout the entire Bible, he's probably the only man, at least it's not mentioned, Throughout Genesis, where Joseph even flinched at his faith. But take Abraham, for example. Abraham was named the what? The father of faith. Joseph stood alone because even, even the apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said of Abraham that he's the father of faith, and his faith was accounted as righteousness. He stood alone. And I, th I begin to think to myself, are we talking about the same Abraham? the father of faith, he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hallmark of faith. The Bible calls it the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, the hall of faith. And Abraham is the first name mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the first name, Abraham, the father of faith. He believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Now you would think with a title like that, that this guy never flinched and never had a doubt or a mistrust in God. But as I read the scriptures further, my encouragement began to increase because I started thinking to myself, aren't you the same guy who sold your wife to a Pharaoh for possessions because you couldn't believe and trust God was going to provide for you? He lied to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh takes in Abraham's wife. This Pharaoh either has a dream or his, uh, his, his kingdom is beginning to fall and there's difficulties arising. He goes to Abraham and said, ever since you came and you've given your wife to given this woman to me, he didn't know it was his wife, given this woman to me, all hell has broken loose. Who is this woman to you? Because Abraham had told him it was his sister. He says, is this your wife? Abraham finally confesses. So not only, so that doesn't sound like a man who trusts God to me that would lie to protect his own tail and a man who would lie in order to get possessions to be provided for because a man of faith would certainly, he would trust God for his provision. But who could think, not only that, who can, who can forget to think about how Abraham distrusted God about having an heir that he was promised? Abraham, who was 90 years old before he would be given the promised son, Isaac, mistrust God enough to sleep with Hagar, his wife's handmaiden. Doesn't sound like a man of faith to me, yet the Bible seems to totally forget all of these missteps in his faith and names him the father of faith. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the scriptures, 
Even the 12 disciples had moments of doubt. And if you're a believer, your true faith cannot arise or, or gain strength until your faith is questioned at some point in your walk with the Lord. Because true faith is not faith until it's tested by fire. True faith will be tested and it's tested through doubts. Mountains that you will face that are unmovable, things that you've prayed for in extended periods of time with that question or that prayer unanswered, that will ultimately determine whether you have faith or not. Because it's not what you believe when everything is going right. It's what you believe when you're at the bottom rung of the ladder, God's not moving, you're struggling financially, you have marital issues, or you have insecurities. It's what you believe in the moments at the lowest points of your life that truly determine where your faith is and whether you have faith or not. Amen? I want you to go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. Everybody awake this morning? I'm entitling this message this morning, When Believers Struggle Believing. I want everybody to say that with me. One, two, three. When believers struggle believing. Amen to that. John chapter 1, verse 29. And it will be up on the screen. I'm going to begin reading. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, this is John the Baptist speaking. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me. He was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water, verse 32. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, meaning God, said to me, upon, so God is telling him who, this, who Jesus is. God is telling him who Jesus is. He says, I did not know him, but he who sent me, meaning God, sent me to baptize with water, said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. What confidence he had. John has this beautiful revelation. He's sent to, be, to baptize people in water, but he said, there's one who's coming after me who's going to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. God just gives him a revelation and said, hey, whoever you see the Spirit of God descending in bodily form like a dove, whoever that Spirit rests upon, that is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Such confidence that this guy had, this great revelation. But I struggle with that because I, I, I skipped over to Matthew. And, and I love that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have different perspectives in the Bible. The other day, I don't know if you know this, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all accounts of Jesus' life. That's why it's called the Gospels, the good news. But what I love about it is John is sitting here and seeing Jesus' life from his perspective. But then Matthew is over here seeing it from this perspective, excuse me. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all these different perspectives and are at different moments of time are with Jesus and able to see Jesus's life 
from a different vantage point. So in John, this is showing Jesus as being a very, uh, the son of God. And, and John, is in, John is confident about this, that this is the son of God. This is, he's about to overthrow Israel. Things are about to change. But Matthew has a different perspective. And I want you to read this with me. In Matthew 11, I'm gonna begin reading, reading for the sake of time, is one through four. I'm getting somewhere, just bear with me. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. This is after he revealed that Jesus was the son of God. He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And there he heard John was in prison. And he heard the works of Christ. So he sent his disciples and he said, ask him if you're the coming one. Ask him if you're the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the coming one? Wait a minute. And John, you just declared that he was the son of God. And John, you just said, behold the Lamb of God who takes, of the sin of, takes away the sin of the world. But then Matthew overhears you in prison, sending your disciples to Jesus and questioning the fact of what you just declared. And John heard in prison about the works of Christ and he said to his disciples, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Wait a minute, I thought you just found him. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John, Go re, 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 reiterate to John what's happening here. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached them. Point number one, your doubt is in good company. Every man, every woman of faith has struggled with their doubt. We're talking about a patriarch of faith is doubting the very fact. God just told him that. Have you ever been told by God or had some type of prophecy that you've had and you're really excited and then you go home and then you wake up the next day and then you begin to question what God had really said? Every man, every woman of God will be tested and challenged in their walk at some point in their lives. So your faith is in good company. You know, one, uh, one thing I think that pastors and ministers should do, just ministers in general, what they need to do is find a, what their goal is to find common ground between people who seem so far-fetched and great people of faith and help you find common ground with them and let you see that your doubt is no, your doubt is not unusual. God used people who struggle with doubts. God struggled with people who had issues. And last week I told you about those issues. We, we preached on the God of your gaps, how he makes up for what you don't have. Amen. So your, your, your doubt is in good company. This guy who got the revelation that this is indeed the son of God and now the next day he's struggling with doubt because God wasn't doing it his way. We often will struggle with what God is doing. It's not that he's fulfilling, it's not that he's not fulfilling his promise to you, is that we struggle because God is not using the tools that we thought he should use. And he may not be using the people that you thought he should use. What I have found about God in my 15 years that I've been walking with him is he is not held captive to the way that you want to do things. He will use whatever means necessary to get you to the destination. Here's the thing. God really doesn't care how he gets you there as long as he gets you there. And we get frustrated about the journey that he takes us on in order to get to point Z. And we're asking him about point B through, what's the last, uh, second to the last? Yeah, you got it. 
There you go. God doesn't care about the, some of the in-betweens. And if you make wrong turns, be rest, rest assured that God is your built-in GPS system. Rerouting. He will reroute you even if you make a wrong step. If your unbelief helps you and causes you to step in the wrong direction, know that we have a trusted father who's like your built-in GPS system. There's no amount of wrong turns where God won't hit the reset button and say rerouting you as soon as you're ready to get right with him. Amen. Your doubt is in good company. Look at somebody and say, your doubt is in good company. You know, sometimes I feel that, I feel that sometimes our doubt can become more damaging when you're, you're the only one who, you think you're the only one who struggles with doubt. Here's how I wrote it. It says, thinking that you are the only one who struggles with doubt causes more damage than doubt itself. Knowing that you have common ground with people of faith, patriarchs of faith. And as I went through the hall of faith, because I know that these, these, these biblical characters, I know their, their, their background and their stories throughout scripture. And each and every single one of them besides Joseph has struggled with doubt. So knowing that you're not alone in your doubts will help you rest assured and know that you're in good company. You're in good company. You know, when I think about the disciples who changed the world and flipped the world upside down, there was 12 disciples. And then there ended up being 11 because of Judas. Then they added another one to create the 12 disciples. Each and every one of these men struggled with doubt. Each and every one of them. I mean, who can forget Peter? Let's not talk about John, clingy John. John ran when Jesus was gonna get crucified. When they all came to arrest Jesus, all of these guys, and you know how I know that they doubted? And we're talking about the patriarchs of faith who, who were gonna change the trajectory of the world as we know it, change religion as we know it. They went back fishing. Does that sound like people of faith to you? They went back fishing. In John chapter 21, the Bible says, after Jesus ascended and he left, they go back to what used to work. Because Jesus didn't come and do, what, and do it the way that they thought he should do it. And so doubt kicked in. And Jesus had to appear to them again and reassure them that what he did was valid. Amen? Because God often doesn't do things the way that we think he should. In Luke chapter 17, I want you to read this with me. This is a simple message this morning, but it's an imperative message. Luke 17. Luke 17, 11. And it says, now it happened as he went through Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers and who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest and so it was that as they went, somebody say, as they went, as they went, as they went, they weren't healed immediately. As they went, they were cleansed. Your faith must be challenged by doubt. Can you imagine standing before Jesus, the son of God, and, and he declares healing over them, but the healing doesn't, it's not manifest right away. Most 
of everybody else that Jesus healed, there was usually immediate manifestations that there was healing. Can you imagine how these guys felt? That's like you coming to me in a wheelchair, God forbid, and I lay hands on you and I call you healed, but you go away in your wheelchair. You can't tell me, unless you're superhuman and really have some Smith Wigglesworth faith, you cannot tell me that you won't struggle for a moment, at least a moment, with doubt that you're not healed. Now, these guys' lives were literally falling apart. Lepers, now I don't know if you know what leprosy is. It's, it's a skin disease. Now there's cures for it. But in those days, there were no cures for leprosy. Their fingers would fall off. Their noses would fall off. Their ears, their appendages, anything that was, their skin would deteriorate. So Jesus says, hey, you're, you're healed. I just want you to go show the priest. And it says, as they went, as they went, they were healed. Say, as they went, they were healed. Has God ever said something to you that you truly believed, but it wasn't made manifest right away? And it's in those little moments that will determine ultimately the outcome of your healing. He said, as they went, they put one foot in front of the other. So you know what you do in the midst of doubt? You keep doing the right thing, even though it doesn't seem to be working. That's exactly what they did. It says, the Bible says they kept walking. They kept doing the right thing and going in the right direction, even though their miracle and their promise had not yet been made manifest. So even when Jesus is seeming like he's taking forever, just hold on to the word that he gave you last year or last month or whatever it is that he gave you. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, knowing that your obedience will be ultimately determined where your faith truly is, not what you think in your mind. Because faith is determined by what we do, not what we think. Amen? And your obedience will make the miracle manifest. Not what you think about what will happen. Not what you think. Look at somebody and say, it's not what you think. Faith cannot grow in ease, comfort, and pleasure. I, I ultimately believe that God will create situations in your life whereby you are forced to trust him. Where your back is up against the wall and all else seems to fail and you've run out of answers, you've run out of money and it's right there, not before, not, not before. It's right when you've run out of all of your solutions. Where man, runs, where, where, where man ends in his solution, God begins with his God usually doesn't show up right before that. It's when the person is at their wit's end, they're ready to throw in the towel, they're ready to quit, they're ready to wring their hands and rip out their hair, and they're done. Lord, you're not moving on my behalf. It's usually right then and there. If you could just hold on just for a few more moments, just for a few more seconds, it's usually that God comes through at that moment because it's only at that moment. Did you know when we talked about working out the other day, uh, Ronnie, and we were talking about muscle growth, did you know that, that science has proven, it, if you do 12 repetitions in a set, it's only usually the last one or two reps that actually count and actually generate muscle growth. It's usually in the last inning where you're believing God for something that actually matters. What causes growth? It's not, these, these little small challenges that people come to me, you know, pastoring the past couple of years. I've had people come to me about some really pretty small minuscule challenges. But everybody's challenges feel differently. Like what may feel like 100 pounds to you may feel like 200 to me. 
but God will test you based on your level of faith. And he knows what you're able to tolerate and what you're not able to tolerate. And he'll give you enough weight in your life to make you feel. So, so when, what may make me feel like I'm crushing under 100 pounds and Ronnie's picking up 200 pounds, God will compensate for the lack of belief or the lack of spiritual tolerance or growth in that person's life. Amen? Because he knows that we're all growing at our different pace. But one thing that we are all on equal ground about is that when God is ready to challenge your faith, he will put you under something that you cannot bench press yourself. And you, and you ultimately need the Holy Spirit as your spiritual spotter, amen, to get you that last rep. And it's that last rep, it's that last inning where ultimately God will choose to challenge your faith but will generate faith in your life, amen? It's under pressure, I like to call it faith under fire. I want you to go to Judges with me. Judges. We're doing a little bit of scripture reading today. I think it's important. Judges 6, 11. Everybody okay? Okay, let's read it here. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash, the Ebezrite, anybody know how to pronounce that? While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I love how God calls you something when you're not yet that. Next verse. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, the Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring, up, bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. He has no might. What is God saying? And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Watch this. I'm gonna read a little bit more, okay? Uh, Judges 7, one through seven, watch this. Stay with me. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all, he was changing his name. Remember he said, oh mighty man of valor, who was not a mighty man of valor? So he's changing his name here. So then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So the short story of this all is, is God is bringing Gideon through a progression. Say a progression. I want you to watch this. So if the story reads on, he says, you have too many, and they're going up against some of odd of 30,000 people. And God says, you have too many people. I'm gonna save you from this army with 300 of your own men. He has them go down by a, by, by a brook. And he says, all the men who actually act like they're human and grab a cup and drink with water, I want you to send them home but the guys who lap up the water like a dog, the guys who don't seem like they're all there, 
We're gonna, I'm going to use them. Those are the guys that I'm going to use in order for you to win this army. Isn't that just like God? Because he didn't want these guys to win because if they would have won with this army, they could have doubted that God indeed saved them and they thought it was the strength of their own arm versus God's arm saving them. So I want you to see this progressive faith because point number three is this, faith is not born overnight. Say faith is not born overnight. First of all, if you've seen in the beginning scriptures in Judges 6, 11, which I was having trouble reading here, he was struggling with the fact that God was calling him. He wanted to know for sure, are you calling me, Lord? And the Lord had to re-secure him that, hey, I'm calling you. That's one level of faith. Then there's a second level of faith. He had to believe that he could get done. Do you see the progression there? God, I'm kind of reminded, like, because I used to really struggle with heights. And I remember going to, um, what is it called? Uh, Wet and Wild. And I remember somebody was trying to talk me into going up in that rocket that drops out from underneath you and goes straight down by about 100 and 200 feet. I never, I watched that thing for years. I would see people go on this ride. It still makes me nervous. My hands are sweating thinking about it. But I remember somebody trying to talk me into it for years and I wouldn't go on it. And then I finally, finally thought to myself, okay, I'll go on it. And I was all, you know, I was feeling confident until I got to the stairs that led up to it. And then my fear started kicking in again. And they just, they walked behind me and kind of pushed me up the stairs. That was a second level. But then the third level was when I actually got to the rocket, when the doors actually opened. And that was a whole nother conversation. I was going to walk all the way back down the stairs and they all blocked me. And they really kind of just forced me in there. And I was like holding on to the rocket so that when the bottom dropped, I would still be hanging on. Has anybody ever been on this ride that I'm talking about? This is Gideon's life right here because God will never call you to do something great immediately. He, will, he has intentions on you doing and accomplishing great things, but he wants to grow your faith in increments because your faith has not grown overnight. And this is why you can't judge your faith and be hard on yourself at the beginning of your walk of faith, not knowing what the end is gonna look like. We're talking about that he, God was saying, oh, oh, mighty man of valor. He wasn't a mighty man of valor. This guy was a coward. Abraham wasn't a great man of faith in the beginning. Or the same Abraham we were talking about was the same Abraham who lied to get his way, to protect his own skin. And he also tried to manipulate God's plan and bring about the promise in his own way. That doesn't sound like a man of faith to me. But what God did with Gideon is he first of all got him to believe that the fact that God was first calling him, he called him. Then he tried to persuade him that you can win this army that's the second level. And the third level was, I can win this army without your, your talent or without your own skill set. That was the third level. Because God will always, like dropping 10 pounds weight, adding weight, adding weight to increase your faith. And here's how you know that God is about to do something great in your life. I want you to think about this before I say that. I want you to look back three and four years ago about what, and so I want you to see that thing in your mind's eye on what you went through. If you went through that challenge again, would it be a lot easier for you? Yes, it would, because your faith has grown to trust God at that level. But where you're at now, you know you're at another level is when you're having a struggle trusting God in this arena. And that's why faith is progressive. He will increase the challenges in your life, not because God is mad at you, not because God is frustrated at you, not because he doesn't want to move on your behalf, but he wants to challenge your faith so that you can believe him for bigger and better things and become the child of God with unshakable faith, with unmovable faith that he's called you to be, oh, mighty man of valor. 
And that's what God is saying to somebody this morning who is struggling in your walk of faith. Maybe you prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. A few weeks ago, I went and I prayed for somebody and um, they died. They passed away the very next day. I was doing their funeral just a few days later. Oh, man of faith. Do you think that doubts have a potential to, to go in? But then here's why my faith didn't get shaken. And I, and I was driving home and I said this to the devil. I don't normally talk to the devil, by the way, just so you know. You don't have a pastor who communicates with the devil a whole lot. But I did say this. Devil, if everybody that I pray for stays sick, I will still pray for the sick my entire life. I will not stop praying because I trust in faith and I trust God above what I see. Because what we don't see, the Bible says, is more real than the, the things we can see. Amen. And so I have to allow my faith to be my eyes, not my situation. Because it's what you believe that determines your reality, not your reality should not determine your faith. And that's why we have to allow the scriptures to be the barometer of what we believe, not in our situations and what we're going through. Amen. But God will increase your faith and challenge your faith on different levels. He will increase the weight. Why do you think you're not dealing with the same thing you dealt with last year? Because you graduated that. This is a different graduating test. It's different progressions. It's a progression. Somebody say it's a progression. Faith is a progression and faith does not grow overnight. I want you to go. This is the last scripture I'm going to go to. I want you to go to John chapter 20 and we'll close up here. John chapter 20, verse 24. And it says, now Thomas, I love Thomas. Who, who's Thomas? Do they call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. That's interesting. The other disciple therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of nails and put my finger into the print of nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26, now after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Stand with me. Point number four. Your doubt gives you an advantage. We've been talked to and preached to our whole lives that only faith activates heaven and gets God to move on their behalf. And much of that is true. But God will actually allow doubt in your life and it will give you an advantage. Why do I say that would give you an advantage? Jesus did not appear to any of the other disciples who had faith. But he sure appeared to Thomas. Why? Because God has something to prove to you. And God will go out of his way in the unbeliever's life just to show you he's faithful. All doubt truly is, is the heart cry for God to reveal what's reality. That's all doubt is. God will allow things in your lives to happen ultimately 
that would infuse a little bit of doubt just so he can gain opportunity to prove his faithfulness to you. And we can play softly, maybe just some pads. I was thinking about this this morning, that there is a destructive doubt that we can fall into. And there is doubt that can lead you into cynicism, cynicism and criticisms and things like that. But ultimately, if you respond to your doubt and it's just simply a heart cry for God to move on your behalf, that is a healthy doubt that won't move you away from God. There's a healthy doubt that will move you toward God. I want you to not see that your, your doubt and maybe lack of faith is a negative thing in this season. I want you to see it as a positive one. I want you to see it as something that God is about to use to prove his faithfulness to you. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.